are your, your bare necessities? I mean the simple bare necessities. What are the, what are the basic things to your life? What are the essentials? Um, I mean, I like TV. I like Netflix. I like, you know, drinking coffee. I like YouTube. I like uh, reading books. I like traveling. I like exploring. I like learning. I like all of these things. But what are my bare necessities? And what are your, your bare necessities? So if you were to inventory your life and your possessions and your subscriptions and your toys and your stuff, what would you consider to be essential to your life? Um, I was sat at the recent Canada Day fireworks and I got into a conversation with someone from here in North Gore and uh, he told me that he has a grab-and-go bag uh, for each member of his family. And what the grab-and-go bag is, is that it's a bag that's ready for the event of a natural disaster or even the breakdown of society. And if this happens, if there's a natural disaster or, or the breakdown of society, then this man has a bag. He has a plan. He has a strategy. And he's ready to go. And I asked him, well, have you got a change of clothes in your bag? Because I was curious, what do you put in a grab-and-go bag in the event of the end of the world. And uh, he said, no, I don't have a change of clothes because having clean clothes in the event of a disaster or societal breakdown is not actually essential. It might be nice and you're, you know, the people you're traveling with into the woods might like you to have a change of clothes, but, um, but what's in that bag is the bare essentials, the bare necessities to head into the woods and to live with his family there uh, in the forest. So let me ask you again, what would be in your grab-and-go bag? What are the bare essentials to your life? Uh, recently, if you remember, we had a power outage uh, at, um, at the same time as a communications out outage. Now, I've never experienced both a power outage and a communications outage at the same time, but it's in those moments where we start to scan these lives that we've created for ourselves, and we start to ask ourselves, okay, what is essential? None of this stuff is working, so what's essential? Is it food? Is it water? Is it a generator? Is it streaming services? Is it, is it shelter? Is it fuel? And, you know, so we have this, this list, and Jesus also had his list of bare essentials, bare necessities. So he takes himself off into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. He, uh, and then, you know, Satan, the accuser, he tests him. And in responding to one of Satan's tests, Jesus responds with this. He says, uh, it is written, Matthew 4 verse 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus recognizes that, yes, food and water and drink and shelter um, are, are essential. But because we're more than just physical beings, uh, Jesus encourages us to add to our list of essentials the word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, just as we need to be fed physically, so we need to be fed spiritually. This isn't an option. This isn't a nice thought. It's an essential. And for, for, you know, for too many of us, we're starving ourselves, we're suffering from spiritual malnutrition, and we aren't even aware of it. And that's really the basis of our scripture today. Asking ourselves, what is the most important thing 
in our lives? This is the question that is laid in front of both Mary and Martha and which is in front of us this morning. What is the minimum that we need to live? How simple can we or should we make our lives? Now, before I get into the text, you should know that this passage actually carries on straight on from our lectionary text last week, um, where Jesus told the expert in the law that if he wants to inherit eternal life, then he has to go and do likewise, meaning go and be like the Good Samaritan, meaning um, that, 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 that service, that serving, um, that serving Jesus and serving Others in need, having mercy, having compassion, uh, is essential to having life in the kingdom, right? In other words, last week's passage was about our hands. And this week's passage is about our heart, about how, uh, how our, our identity uh, in Jesus and our proximity to Jesus is much, much more important than what we do for Jesus. So, of course, the question is, which is it? Is it salvation by faith alone, or is it faith without works is actually dead, like James says? Now, I don't think it's an accident that Luke places this moment with Mary and Martha straight after the parable of the Samaritan. Uh, This is on purpose. Because first Jesus says, go and do likewise if you want to inherit eternal life. And then just a couple of verses later, he says, Mary, in sitting at my feet and not hurrying around, has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. And I think that Jesus is okay with having attention like that in his life. Um, And I, I think he invites us into that maybe tension there. So are you okay with a tension like that? Luke 10, 38. As Jesus Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Uh, She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, N.T. Wright uh, makes the point that Mary was behaving as if she were a man. Okay, he says, yeah, the public room was where the men would meet. You know, the kitchen and other quarters unseen by, uh, by outsiders, those belonged, those, those belonged to the women. Only outside where the little children would play and in the married bedroom would male and female mix. For a woman to settle down comfortably among the men was bordering on the scandalous. And there was another commentator who said this, she is positioned at the Lord's feet, signifying her submissiveness, particularly her status as a disciple, in spite of the, the, of the reality that in this period, Jewish women were normally cast in the role of domestic performance in order to support the instruction of men, rather than as persons who were themselves engaged in study. So we have this woman, Mary, doing this very unwomanly thing in that time of joining the men and sitting at Jesus' feet as a disciple. Meanwhile, her sister is most likely in the woman's area of the house, and she's doing what she should be doing. She's preparing. Now, this, um, 
Gender divide might feel strange to us here in Canada, but I've experienced it many times while serving God overseas. You see, uh, there was a time when Wendy and I were uh, out for a walk in Ras al Khaimah in the United Arab Emirates, and we were walking through a park. It was a very hot day, and there were families everywhere sat on the grass eating a picnic. And we were invited to sit down and to uh, join with the family and share in their meal. It was very kind and very generous. Except that I wasn't invited to come and sit down and join in their meal. I was invited to stand over there and wait, and they would bring the food to me via a young lad. You see, in that culture, the men and the women eat separately. And so I was there on the side and I would eat the food. Kind of not really sure what to do with myself. I was there and I was being fed, and, but, you know, that's just how it was whilst Wendy and the girls sat with the women. And then you don't even have to go to the Middle East to experience this. My brother's wedding, uh, for example, in in Wales, took place at this place called Llanetli Free Evangelical Church. And uh, in fact, I think this is probably a good thing for us to try. Let's let's try to get our Welsh on. Okay, so so we're going to say the word Llanetli. Okay, you've got to shove that tongue in the side of your mouth. Okay, so I'll, I'll say it one more time, Llanetli, and then one, two, three. Okay, I got spit on my face from all of you guys. So he was in, he was in this church called Llanetli Free Evangelical Church, and during the wedding rehearsal, uh, yeah, the pastor, who's a family friend of mine, um, he told us that this church used to be a Jewish synagogue. And the men would sit upstairs, and oh, sorry, the men would sit on the ground floor, and the women would sit upstairs in the gallery. And there was even a seat for the wife of the rabbi, which this photo was actually taken from. And so it was a seat of honor, but it was a seat of honor in the women's area, not the men's area, because they, they were separate. So this whole idea of gender, uh, of the genders being split apart, underlines a lot of the Bible and uh, lots of the major world religions like Islam and also Judaism and even some branches of the Christian church. So, so, so for this woman, Mary, to take the place of a male disciple at the feet of Jesus was scandalous. It would have raised eyebrows. And so much so that, that Martha, her sister, broke you know, the protocol of the culture herself. And she crossed this invisible societal line just so that she could express her outrage to the rabbi. Luke chapter 10, verse 14, she, 40. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So here we have someone, uh, Martha, who is talking to Jesus and expressing her feelings, and then she's asking him to do something, right? She's, she's talking to Jesus, expressing her feelings to him, and she's asking him to do something. Now, what do we call it when someone talks to Jesus, expresses their feelings to him, and asks him to do something? What do we call that? Prayer. Okay, absolutely. And so Martha is praying to Jesus, right? She's expressing herself. She's asking him to do something. Now, just because Jesus happens to be actually physically there, uh, I don't think this makes it any less of a prayer, right? It's a prayer. 
And so if we interpret this frustrated exchange between Martha and Jesus as prayer, then maybe we can learn a couple of things um, or a couple of prayer errors. I've just made a new word, prayers. Okay, I made that up myself. If you use it again, I expect a little bit of money. Okay, and but here are some prayers that we should avoid. Number one, uh, Martha starts with this with with an assumption. She says, Lord, don't you care? Okay, so what is she doing here? What is this? How do we interpret this? Well, Martha is interpreting Jesus's action or lack of action by allowing Mary to sit at his feet in a posture of learning as a sign that he doesn't care, that he doesn't care about Martha and the list of things that she has to do on the fridge. These many things that are needed to host a traveling rabbi and his and and his team. And we can fall into this prayer, into this prayer error too, right? Assuming that Jesus doesn't care. Uh, assuming that the silence of God means the absence of God. And the thing is that when we believe that God doesn't care because he's not doing something that we feel he should be doing, this often says more about our priorities than it does about him. You see, Jesus was right there. He was talking. He was actually communicating. He was, he was teaching. He was listening. He was present. But where he was wasn't where Martha was. And that's not Jesus' fault. That's Martha's fault. So we need to be careful in assuming that Jesus doesn't care just because he's not responding in a way that we wish he would. And why this is dangerous is that if we start to internalize this concept that Jesus doesn't care, then that is just one step away from us removing him from the place as Lord of our lives. And then us actually moving into that role ourselves. It's like we're saying to Jesus, well, if you won't be the Jesus that I need, then I'm going to replace you with myself And since I'm now the sovereign, I'm now on the throne, I get to tell you what you should do. And this horrible power shift happens in our lives where Jesus is relegated to being our genie or our wish granter or our servant. And we see this in Martha's very next words. She says, tell her. She says, tell her to help me. She's ordering the rabbi who happens to be God's son, to do what she wants. And I would imagine that at that moment, when she says this, there are gasps, audible gasps in the room. This is shocking language. And so maybe you can see what a slippery slope it is when we allow frustration with God to uh, mobilize our prayers, when we get so angry at God's apparent lack of activity that we start believing that we have a right now to tell him what to do because he's doing a shocking job of it himself. We are now Yahweh. We are now the ruler of the universe. And the irony here in Luke chapter 10 is that now Martha is overstepping the cultural norms. In fact, she's blasted way past Mary. What Mary was doing was shocking, but now Martha has just uh, gone way, way past her. Because, yeah, sure, Mary was sat at Jesus' feet. She She was in a position of learning, of being a disciple, like a man. That's shocking. But Martha has now assumed the position of leadership, 
of being the supreme one in that relationship. And Jesus is no longer honored. She's now the rabbi to the rabbi, in a sense. And her anger has led her to a place uh, of sin, or at least in the neighborhood of sin. And so here's the lesson for each and every one of us. If you buy into the lie that Jesus doesn't care, then you may just be steps away from claiming that role of Lord of your own life. And if Satan can start to have you believe that Jesus is absentee or uncaring, then he's halfway there. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't be open with Jesus or share our feelings. You know, we should be honest with him. And in fact, I sort of admire Martha for her frankness. But I think we should be careful about overstepping that line and saying something to God that makes him appear small in our estimation, kind of like a servant that robs him of his nature because then Jesus is no longer on the throne and all you need to do is to slide into that seat of power yourself. But here's the great thing, is that even with this messy, messy prayer, Jesus, in his grace and his compassion, he sees Martha's heart. He knows that she's very close to making a huge mistake. And so instead of scolding her or smiting her or telling her to get back in the kitchen and do what women are supposed to be doing, he gently corrects her. Verse 41. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And the sense that I get from here is that Jesus, his heart is similar to when the disciples in Luke 18 verse 14 told the crowds uh, or asked the, the you know, the kids to leave because he needed his rest. And then Jesus said, don't hinder the children because the kingdom of God belongs to them. It's, it's, it's that sense which I get here. You know, Jesus allows the children through. And what Mary has chosen will not be taken away from her. You cannot get Mary off Jesus' lap. Jesus is really protective about those who choose to be close to him. And so into this awkward silence where Martha has just exposed her heart by questioning Jesus' care for her and then allowing her frustration to spill over into ordering Jesus around, Jesus responds with this wonderful words of firm compassion. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about few things, some things, many things. And isn't that true of us? We are worried, we are upset about many things. About getting our kids to hockey. About paying our bills. About going back to the grocery store because we forgot something. About purchasing something on Amazon that we can't afford, but it is Prime Day, so we may as well make use of the sale. We're worried about our kids' education. We're worried about the way that our country is heading we're worried about the amount of work on our plate we're worried about you know the price of fuel and about our list of things that we have to do that is more like a list of things that will never get done 
We're worried about aging parents and wills and property and rental versus owning. We're worried about our car payments. We're worried about spending enough time with the kids. We're worried about whether we will have kids. We're worried about whether we will find that, that one that's perfect for us, that man or that woman. We're worried about whether we're doing enough for Jesus or for our family. We're worried about not making ends meet. We're worried about seeing our savings fade away as we dip into them over and over again because things cost more. We're worried about airports and cancelled flights. We're stressed about feeling stressed, which only makes us more stressed. Hands up if you related to any of those things on that list. Yeah, we're worried about many things. And Jesus looks at each of us and he says to us, whatever your name is, whatever your name is again, You are worried and upset about many things. And this is the first thing on your sheet. So if you have a pen and you have a sheet, write your name in that little space. And I'd like us to practice this now, actually. What I'd like is is for you to say your name twice in a gentle tone. We aren't scolding ourselves. We are speaking Jesus' words to us. And then to say you are worried and upset about many things. Okay, so... Your name, your name. You're worried and upset about many things. Ready? We'll say it out loud. Three, two, one. Dan, Dan, you are worried and upset about many things. One more time. Three, two, one. Dan, Dan, you are worried and upset about many things. Isn't it good to hear that? Isn't it good to acknowledge that truth in our lives? So write your name there. And Maybe uh, start to write in some of those, as, as I continue speaking, just uh, start to write in some of those many things that you are worried about, or you can take it home and can do this as an exercise back at home. And then Jesus says this to Martha. He says to, and he says this to you. He says, but few things are needed. Friends, when we are in the presence of Jesus in heaven, and we see the true value of everything that we did on earth, it will be a wake-up call for every single one of us. But the thing is, we don't have to wait until then. We can start now. We can reprioritize. And so right now, in that second space on your sheet, uh, write down the things that the Holy Spirit might be telling you are important. What are the few things that are important? What are the few things that truly matter? What are the bare necessities? What needs to be in your grab bag? Start to write that down. Maybe it's food and shelter. Maybe it's clothing. Maybe it's water. Maybe that's as simple as it gets. Or maybe it's more personal, more specific. And I love that Jesus leaves this, these few things unidentified. He doesn't tell us what they are. Because I think that Jesus is inviting uh, Martha to take some ownership over her own life by her deciding what are those few things that are needed. And so maybe this is the moment where Martha in that room puts down the matching napkins and she joins Mary at the feet of Jesus. And so as I continue talking, just start to jot down those few things that are needed, the few things. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you?
Because that's what life's about, right? It's about simplifying, narrowing down, reprioritizing, rejecting, you know, the tyranny of the urgent by obtaining an eternal perspective. It's about realizing that in this moment, Jesus is calling you away from the cookie-cutter roles that's, that you or society has created for yourself. I'm a woman. I'm a man. I'm a farmer. I'm a lawyer. I'm a custodian. I'm a stay-at-home mum or dad. I'm an arborist. I'm an office worker. I'm a service worker. I'm a construction worker. I'm a chef. I'm a personal support worker. I work with intellectual property. I'm a... I'm a programmer, I'm an, I'm an administrator, I'm a pastor, I'm a parent, a son, a daughter, a spouse, I'm single, I'm a grandparent, I'm a child, I'm a grandchild. And Jesus says, no, you're mine, now come sit down for a while. So what really matters? What are the few things that are needed? Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And this is where life gets beautifully simple. When we realize that life is actually about one thing, and that is sitting at the feet of Jesus in a place of peace and submission, of learning and of curiosity, of faith. And Martha, she will never know that peace until she first sits down. She will never give up those many things about which she's worried and upset until she sits down. She will never lay aside the distractions unless she sets aside you know, the silverware for a while and sits. You see, it takes faith to put the dishes down, to step away from the sink. And so in that space under one thing, Write something like sitting at the feet of Jesus, or even being with Jesus. Or maybe just that one word, you know, Jesus. It takes faith to let go of your worries and your distractions, those things that make you upset. Because they, these things are the, where we get our identity from, right? This is where we slot into the roles that society has made for us. But in his grace, Jesus invites us to sit down, to choose what is better. Now, that's not to say that those other things are bad. You know, you know, eating a dry piece of bread isn't bad. But at the feet of Jesus, there is a feast of peace. There is a feast of truth and hope. And we're scurrying around, running around, existing on crumbs and expecting Jesus to applaud our efforts. We think he says to that good and faithful servant, but Jesus, in fact, says what Mary has chosen will not be taken away from her. And, and this is a promise for each of us. You see, we can lose our jobs. We can lose our homes. We can lose our security. We can lose our savings. We can lose our investments. We can lose our health. We can lose our lives. None of these is a promise or a given. But what will not be taken away from us is what we find when we sit at the feet of Jesus. Martha, she wanted to take it away from Mary. And the world wants to take away what you can only find at the feet of Jesus. But his promise to you is that if in faith 
you reject the many things and you identify the few things and you choose the one thing, then it's yours. It's a promise. You can take that all the way to the bank. It will never be taken away from you. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well.